to the Dark Side podcast. So tonight, got an amazing guest on. Um, and appreciate everybody that's obviously joining us uh, tonight. Um, we've got Maury coming on very soon. Really, really looking forward to this one. Uh, be a lot of like different conversation. Um, but like obviously, massive shout out to David Wood who basically linked us together. Um, so really looking forward to speaking to Mario tonight. Um, got a lot of really good content, some really good stuff we can cover tonight. Um, just waiting for obviously Mario to um jump on. Um, and then we'll get straight into it. But like I said, massive thank you to everybody who obviously joins us on these uh, podcasts. I know it has been reduced, but that's purely because of like a lot of times the timings, my own as well. Um, but it's just trying to get the guests on as and when really. I don't want to just really just start getting people try and get as many people on as possible just to create a podcast. I'd rather get the right people on at the right time. Um, I'm definitely going to be getting a few more people on. Uh, but like I said, even if it's just once every week, two weeks. Um, you know, just take it as it comes, really. But like I said, got Maori coming on tonight. Um, and like I said, check out his work. Some really good work. Get some solid work. Um, so really looking forward to tonight's chat. Um, and like also a massive thank everybody that's obviously bought the poppies as well. Um, basically, I've sold out of them now. Um, so all that money when collected together will go straight into the Jim Self Harmers Club. Um, in in whether. <laughs> going there. Um, that'll be going in straight into the pot uh, for endurance for remembrance and just really just the, for all these challenges as well um, all the money always goes to like obviously the charities this one's going to be percentage split into the Royal British Legion uh, for remembrance and um, some other charities as well so really we have you know done a lot and I'm very very proud of everything everybody's ever done uh, for the club as well so just seem Maury's just joined us there. As soon as he sends across that request to join button, we'll get straight into it. Just waiting for that to happen. And then we'll get straight into the into the podcast itself. Just waiting for that request to join. There we go. Ready to load up as always. Good evening, my brother. Good, brother. good, good. How are you? Good, man. Pleasure to be here. Oh, it's pl absolutely pleasure being on. You know, I mean, I was like I said earlier on, massive shout out to obviously David Wood there for joining us two together. Um, you know what I mean? And I know David was like straight away, get Mario on the podcast, you know, you have a great chat and, you know, I'd really appreciate you coming on today, but very like straightforward, very free flowing podcast as always, uh, always like to jump straight in there, get to know yourself a little bit about yourself there. Um, but who is Mulberry Aubrey? <laughs> if I'm saying that right, you know what I mean? The pronunciation is not great. I, 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 I... You, listen, I get called all kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Maury Abreu, I am uh, the owner and chief instructor at Omega Protective Concepts. That's my company, where we train and equip people for success against violence. We have a unique approach in the sense that we are a travel-to-train company. So we go to our clients, we bring our team, and we show up at your site, and we help you coordinate uh, a site uh, so that we can do the training, whether it's hand-to-hand -hand or uh, firearms related or any mix of that. Um, and what we focus on is 
training you to protect yourself in every environment and from every form of attack. So that's the company side. Uh, married, uh, six children. Um, so pretty busy on the on the home front. And uh, on, on the professional side, I work for an agency within the Department of Homeland Security here in the United States, uh, conducting uh, counterterrorism operations globally uh, for low-profile operations. The limited details on that come from the fact that I, as I own a business in training people in self-defense, I've essentially signed a contract with my agency that I will not use my official title for personal or financial gain. So um, I'm not sure how cool my job is. People think it's cool, but that's why I the actual specific uh, job title, but that's the realm in which I operate. Extreme close quarter, uh, very tight environment, and deploying armed around the globe and uh, and and just making sure that no one ever knows we're there. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Because I think myself, it's especially over the last twenty years, I've seen obviously a massive rise in that. You know, close protection. You know, there's a lot out there, and those skill sets are so essential because it. Essentially, you don't, I think it's really since the last 20 years that we see a lot of people, obviously former military, former police, you know, have got those skill set that they're taught, they hone, and then they could actually go out there and they're teaching this skill set. Because to me, I know I posted something about violence and peace and to myself, can you really have peace without extreme violence? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, you're, you're saying you've asked yourself that question? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. I think that, I think that you have to have a comparative. You have to have known, yeah. have to have known extreme pain to know what peace is. You have yeah. to have known what a, what what the measure to which you understand peace is the measure to which you have experienced and comprehend intimately violence, or yeah. pain, or a toxic environment, or abuse. Because then you have a comparative. Absent that, it's a notion. It's something on a PowerPoint or something you read through a book. You can experience that in a limited way, but it's never, you never own it until you've navigated the dark side. No pun yeah. intended. Yeah, exactly. It is exactly that. It's about stepping into that darker side and knowing yourself and what does limitations of violence is because we're all capable of that extreme violence, but it's essentially, it's being honed, isn't it? Those skills on every day, rep after rep, you know what I mean? Drill after drill after drill. And it's this repetition that you create that muscle memory that you can put those skills into action. And I think that's what it is. It isn't until people, they go, oh, sure, yeah, I watched this Krav Maga video. I watched this, I watched, you know, and it's even like down to like knife fighting, you know, for something that's, that's so small and it's this weapon, it is essentially a tool. Everything that you pick up is a tool and it's about, people like yourself you teach that art form and it is a very dark art form when you essentially look at it but it's a, also it's the other part of it is life-saving because if people like yourself weren't trained in that dark arts essentially you wouldn't then be able to then transfer that skill set and it's also not just the physical side it's the mental side as well as the mindset of actually applying it because you know what it's like when you look down that for example that barrel you know you've got that choice and it's a fact of this is when people see it on the movies, they see it on games, great, fantastic. Now let's put those people into real life scenarios. Let's see them actually freeze because that's the first thing someone's going to do, isn't it? 100%. 100%. Yes.
Yeah. Do you think that that level of violence people don't understand? They don't expect it to be? So I, I would say that I, I, my experience is that I know that overwhelmingly, even folks that sign up uh, voluntarily for dangerous yeah. jobs don't always fully comprehend what violence is until it happens. Yeah. A lot of things are notional. Maybe someone had a calling to be in service of others, say military, say law enforcement, because it's what uh, people that they respected, they, they trust and like in their family. Uh, or some role model was in that career field. So that attracted them to it, but they never stopped and took full stock of the experience of what is possible. I remember serving uh, in the Marine Corps, uh, serving with good humans that came in for the wrong reason. Yeah. And they were motivated by things like GI Bill. And if I serve, I'll be able to pay for college because the government's going to help offset that with these payments never giving full thought or much thought to the possibility of, you know, being involved in a exceptionally violent encounter, seeing maybe friends be injured, maybe innocent humans be injured and participating in that. Um, Kelly McCann is a person that anybody that knows me knows Kelly McCann. He's a master combatant instructor here in the U S he's operated on a, on a global level. His resume is, uh, easily found on the interwebs and he's very impressive and and what i bring him up because he 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 kind of coined this phrase of seeing isn't believing feeling is believing and that applies for anything uh but in this realm of violence and the reaction to violence and the preparedness for violence and understanding the uh physiological effects of real imminent threat and danger and what it does are not things i mean you can be equipped by learning about them reading about them being trained by them pressure testing but it can never replace or augment the real thing so yeah. i think the idea is that as an instructor and as a trainer and as a person that equips people for these environments these unfortunate environments is having people in a in a compressed amount of time because most people don't make training a lifetime. They'll go to a few courses here and that's it. In a compressed amount of time, exposing people to thought-provoking training that is gonna be there for them when needed, teaching them techniques that they could actually use at the moment of truth when they're confronted with violence, when they're feeling things that they cannot replicate in training, where their hands are maybe trembling, not because they're scared, but they're experiencing a rage where they're just like a chained pit bull ready to take action and defend their children or defend whoever or defend themselves. And they're pissed that someone even put them in that situation. And yet outside of that, their hands are, are trembling. So the draw is a little different. The punch is a little different. The stance is a little, everything changes. Right. Yeah. So um, I absolutely agree with you. And, and I think the best, to circle back, the best kind of summary on that is seeing isn't believing, feeling is believing. And the idea is to get someone to feel as much as possible in a training realm, build skill, build, uh, you know, scars, right? And yeah. then be better prepared. But there's no replacement for real violence. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that, that what's more important in your rise? Is it building the 
mindset first before you create a physical action or do you think repetitive physical action works alongside mindset mindset unequivocally is number one um there is no replacement for mindset so i always i had a and i just had this conversation a few days ago with with a group of people that i train a few times a month and um i i referenced cardo urso Carto also urso was the lead close combat instructor for the Marine Corps, which I knew because I was a close combat instructor in the Marine Corps, yeah. then went on to be the lead defensive measures, aircraft countermeasures instructor for the Federal Air Marshal Service. And uh, he's now a UFC judge. He's a very well-known man in, in the MMA world and in the combatives realm. He was the one that introduced me to Kelly McCann years ago, back in yeah. 2012. And... Um, we were talking one day and we're talking about techniques, physical skill sets. And he, and he was, we were having this conversation and he said, Maury, it's all bullshit. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's all bullshit, man. All of it, everything. Doesn't matter who's teaching it. It's all bullshit. I was young. I was in my twenties at the time. And I was trying to absorb this because I knew that there was more to his message than just what I was hearing. And what he was getting at to your point, to your question is, Techniques mean absolutely nothing, regardless of how amazing they are, if they're not covered by the appropriate and relative principle. And training, which is principles and techniques, means nothing if it's not done with the right mindset. So hands down, the mindset must be calibrated first before we teach a technique. I'll, I'll, I'll give an example of that. I had a, a female that came to train with me uh, and she had been victimized brutally by an ex to where bones were broken on her body and she ended up in the hospital. And he was, she was being stalked by this person, her ex. So here I am attempting to get this traumatized young lady to embrace the notion, the concept, the essence of violence, the very thing that put her in the hospital, the very thing that broke bones on her body, the very thing that affected her mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, socially, relationally. I mean, it touches, it touches a lot of aspects of our being, right? Yeah. And I'm for me to, in a three-hour session, have a trembling client and by the end of that three-hour session, having them willfully embrace the idea of intentionally closing the distance with their attacker, given certain uh, you know, inevitables, can only be navigated with mindset. If yeah. not, she was just going to be punching pads and scratching pads and doing whatever it is that people teach all these techniques it wouldn't look great i record it i put it on the gram women's self-defense great everybody thinks it's awesome it's fucking bullshit there's nothing there there's no meat to that yeah that's just reps so there is no for me uh in my experience uh techniques mean nothing if the appropriate mindset has not been established yeah definitely because i think that myself i see so much content out there 
And I just find myself that great. We've had a great, ex, almost like explosion, isn't it? Of like, especially over the last 20 years, you know, we've got a lot of people who've served in combat, who've done their tours, who've come out and done obviously a close protection. They've followed those routes because they know that it's, they've lived it. They've ate, sleep, breathed it. They've lived it and they've gone down that pathway. And then it's gone on to, okay, well, maybe I can teach some of this to people. But it's about that. The fact is, is does it, with this flood in the market, did you ever look at it yourself and kind of think, has there been a drop in quality? Or is it, do you think everybody's playing the same ball game? So there has definitely been a drop in quality. One thing I, one thing you won't really, I don't, I don't think you'll find one post from me on this. Yeah. Uh, maybe in a, in, a, in, a, in a private setting, in a classroom, I may touch on it a little bit. One thing I will not ever dis, in, willfully distract myself with is what someone else is doing. Yeah. Um, the industry has gaps and voids. I personally do not believe in elevating, in this case, Omega Protective Concepts by knocking mm -hmm. something else down. Yeah, yeah. What I do is I highlight, here's what we bring. Here's our value. Here's what you're going to get and learn based on not just what I'm saying, but the testimonials of people that have been through the class. Here's what this police officer who was trained in this program that I developed went through and a week later used this to save his life. I didn't, I didn't make that up. That's his experience. Here's what this female used to prevent an attack. Here's, you understand, this, this yeah. that was yeah. traveling abroad using this concept of you know uh basic behavioral recognition skills and teaching techniques that were easily recalled under high level of stress you know there's getting cut off in traffic and there's yeah. getting traffic and someone pulls out a gun and they point it at you and they're sticking their tongue out at you with one hand their middle finger on the other there's no hand on the steering wheel you're on the new jersey turnpike going south you've got your kids in the car and your resume means nothing in that moment. Yeah. Because that's a real different event than just getting cut off by someone that was unaware. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, so, this, so this idea of focusing on what other people, I, 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 I dare to say I probably, there's maybe two posts out of however many thousand that where I'll even address what others are doing because there's a lot of bad things that are being taught today by here you you want to know this is the thing that i have not been able to actually i have wrap my head around there are people that are really competent very experienced in real world violence yeah. had have had experienced physical trauma have holes in their body that weren't there before they went to work that day uh because of a bullet or because of a edge weapon or because they were hit with a hammer or a wrench or what have you they've experienced real trauma and what they're teaching is shit and what they're teaching is i say unethical because they're making people feel really good they have a high resume they have high value uh production of videos and stuff on the gram they're very articulate they're very smart they have an amazing resume but the techniques that they're using uh for example chasing a deadly weapon whether it's a firearm or a pistol and intentionally excluding striking yeah where I'm just going to wrestle someone. So now I have to test my physicality, my, my cardiopulmonary, my athleticism, my flexibility, what have you, depending on, on what environment I'm, I'm doing this in. And we're just doing this uh, dance of athleticism and just hoping that I'm a little bit more understanding of 
leveraging uh, a jujitsu wrestling platform, right? And intentionally limiting striking. I think that's unethical. I think yeah. that's unethical because to remove something that has, to remove this concept of understanding what a high value target area is, where if I touch, if I use this body part on the opponent's body part and I touch that, I'm going to get a result of some kind because that's a yeah. pain pattern, right? That's a high value target area. So to intentionally eliminate that from my training means you get to come to me. We get to have a great weekend. You sweat a lot. You feel good. You never get injured and you never get bruised and you never get a bloody lip. And I understand that. I understand training people that I can't break because the next day they're going on an international mission. I comprehend that from, both from personal experience and from teaching experience. Um, but there is some uh, really poor material that's being taught in this realm, uh, you know, of combatives, I'll use that term. And uh, it, it's, it's not just taught by folks that don't know what they're doing. It's taught by folks that know exactly what they're doing. And they're yeah. not, but the material that they're putting out to the masses, either because they feel uh, a lot of people that are, I'm going to use this term loosely because I don't, I don't really buy, I don't get religious about this stuff, but people that are hardcore combatives, people have this idea. Some of them are my mentors that I, I love. I disagree with vehemently this concept that you can't market combatives. Combatives yeah. is so rough. It's so aggressive. People get so beat up. You cannot have a prosperous business doing that. That has not, I, I don't believe that to be true. I think if you're teaching folks, skill sets that are going to save their life and you build it's i think it's in the building and how you introduce yeah, it presented yeah. in training i do think there's a value to that and i do think that people will people ask me how do you get students you know intensity is my is my language right it's not like i'm going to be intense for the podcast or i'm going to be intense for my class i wake up intense so i yeah. can't change i can't change my intensity for the end user it's the essence of what i am and what happens is whether you're a diminutive person or you're a shy person or you're female or you know you're a previous sexual assault victim or you're a swatologist they see there's integrity there they see there's consistency there it's like what he teaches this person with this resume is the same thing he's going to teach his 15 year old daughter minus maybe the tradecraft piece right or the operational side which a 15 year old child has really no need for um and they say these are real life-saving skills they can be recalled under high level of stress so i'm going to subordinate myself to this thing and see if i like it and i think if you people meet you and they see that you are uh, a real human being and um and your intent is to give them things that they could actually use and will help them during a worst case scenario They'll trust you. And there is no equity on earth that supersedes trust. And once you have that, it's, you have a lifetime relationship. Yeah, definitely. Because it's about, like you said, building that trust. Trust is the ultimate part about it. Because you are essentially, you, they've got to put your trust in them, in yourself. They should put your trust in you. You're going to put trust in that. It's going to be that mutual respect part. But it's about, and this is what, what I really liked about your answer there as well was like you said, you concentrate on your own. You don't just look at somebody else and knock somebody else what they're doing because that's it, what they're doing. 
But what you do is you function and you focus on what you're concentrated on, what you're and making sure it's the best that you physically can because you know yourself. If your level of training is like delivered to somebody and something goes wrong, that's automatically you're naturally going to feel like you're going to think, I should have done better. I should have maybe taught them different on this one. I should have done that. Not that you can ever rule out, you can go and train a hundred people. And if one or two things happen, that's out of your control, at least you know that you've given it that hundred percent and you know that you're teaching them the right real world way, isn't it? You can never kind of take away that part, but at least you're holding yourself accountable that you know that the level of training is right for what they wanted. hundred percent. And for some folks, the answer is going to be don't get in a fight because you don't have it. Yeah. Sometimes, regardless of the amount of training, that's the answer. Make sure you have the highest form of a weapon that you can carry legally where you are because you're going to need it. Because you don't have, you don't have maybe the physicality or you don't have uh, the mindset. So you need chemical spray or you need some kind of an implement weapon, a uh, 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 intermediate weapon of some kind that you can legally carry or some kind of a makeshift weapon or be really good at running people over with your car. Whatever it is that you can take action with and when you take that action, you can legally, ethically, and morally defend those actions in court. Do that because no matter what I teach you or what I've taught you thus far, you're just not getting it. So even though what we teach is very, very basic, you know, you may have a person or two that just isn't inclined towards that. That doesn't mean you don't teach them. You just have an honest conversation with them afterwards. Like you really want to yeah. be, you know, uh, uh, again, having a recent conversation with Kelly McCann on this. I was down at uh, myself and Jonathan, one of my uh, uh, business partners uh, and instructors for the Omega Protective Concepts team. We were down at Kelly's place for a uh, apprehension avoidance course. And, um, you know, we were having this conversation of you better be really good at being avoidant. That's your answer yeah. to, to, to self-defense because yeah. you don't have it. And sometimes that's the answer. And that's where the integrity comes in, having yeah. that hard conversation. But I don't, take, I don't think that's a mass approach. I think, you know, as long as a person is a, 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 you know, is, is a righteous person or, or not a criminal, right? Um, you train them and you equip them and you yeah. work with them and you develop them as best you can. Yeah, definitely. Because I think myself is exactly what you said there. You can train a hundred people. You can teach them the skill set, the mindset, everything, all these techniques. But when it comes to that moment, that crucial moment, when training goes out the window and that ha action happens, that person knows themselves. It's the purest form of knowing yourself. Have you, but you switch off. It's almost like switching off, isn't it? And you go into muscle memory and you let the training take over. But it's that part of it is, is you'll only ever know yourself when that moment happens. If you're going to freeze, which is a natural thing's going to do through fear, but do you, does training kick back in and do you take that action? And I was always taught the best weapon in the world is your feet because you can run like hell. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes it, you know, you, you don't want to pull a blade. You don't want to do it. You know, you don't want to get in these situations. Sometimes the best weapon is to run. But the thing is, though, you know yourself. That is, I think, at the moment, that is the greatest moment of your life is you know when that happens, what who you really are, isn't it? It speaks volumes. You know, you, you brought up a really, yes, you, you brought up a really good point. You know, in the in the realm of principles and the sense of approaching protecting yourself or protecting those you love uh, 
you know, I'm not sure about ranking in order of priority principles. I think you get, you can miscommunicate to the end user when you do that. I will say, that being said, I will say this. If avoidance is not number one, um, it's 1A. And okay. that you should look to avoid violence because yeah. every day folks that are not as skilled injure sometimes permanently people that are highly skilled yeah. right so uh you see so many times in today's youtube world where folks get in an encounter that did not have to happen it was ego driven someone said something uh they got upset and the person falls a certain way and they hit their head and now they're paralyzed and now you have some real legal issues right yeah. and now the consequence of your ego affects not only you but everyone that loves you and everyone that you you know support right so um you know Avoidance isn't always the answer because sometimes, well, let, let me let me say it this way. Leaving is not always the answer because sometimes leaving creates a hostage situation, right? Yeah. Leaving means you've left your children behind. Leaving means you've left those you were supposed to protect behind. So in certain roles, you can't leave, right? Yeah. You have to stay. But overall, it is a very good idea to be avoidant and just be equipped for success. Be as armed as you can legally in the state or in the country where you're in and just be avoidant and try to mitigate trouble. Uh, because, you know, if you're trained and you put your hands on someone, you're going to hurt them. And yeah. that's okay. You need to be okay with that. And you also need to just be driven by this. Um, you know, people have a lot of opinions of the word violence. Violence is not a bad word. Yeah. Uh, being, you know, uh, immoral and unethical in your execution of violence that's bad, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so, so combating violence with violence in self-defense, in defending yourself. See, everybody that's offended by the word violence, if violence comes to their doorstep and you or I come and we protect their life using that very thing that is threatening their life, all of a sudden violence isn't a bad thing. But again, yeah. they're, they're seeing this on a PowerPoint or in a movie or through media. They're not feeling the experience. Uh, I have an uncle who was very anti-gun, right? And then uh, his house was broken into, and all of a sudden, no one was injured, thank God. All of a sudden, yeah. he's not anti-gun anymore. <laughs> yeah. Conversation being very detailed, very articulate about why he thinks only police and people like me, I'm not sure what that means, should have guns. So no civilians should have guns. And all of a sudden, he's like, well, bad guys don't really follow those rules, and I should have a gun. It's kind of a silly conversation. Uh, it, it's it's really a big thing here in, in the U.S. And all of these things, most of the things that people talk about, they have no clue what they're talking about whatsoever. Yeah. There's no experience attached to the idea. There's no experience attached to the opinion. It's just words. Yeah. So when it comes to training people for self-defense, you have to look at, you know, if you're talking about looking for an instructor, not just what is the instructor's pedigree, you know, how are his clients coming out of the training or his students, whatever terminology you want to use? What are they learning? What are the after action reports? Have they used any of this of these techniques? What was the success rate? What did they learn? Like, what was the experience? Did they just feel good hitting pads and 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 
doing very low level, it looks eccentric, it looks high level, but very low level, low contact type training? Or did they really get in there saying, man, that really sucked. And I felt that pain and I did not like it at all. It was horrible. But now I know that if I do that thing to someone, they're going to think it's horrible. So now I'm more encouraged to use that thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think sometimes the end result is far more important than the, the actual entry level of like just looking through and you're looking for an instructor or, or a tutor in this in the dark arts essentially you kind of can see all these like titles and a lot of like areas but it's always going to be the end results is going to speak volumes isn't it than what the actual resume stands for 100 percent. yes yeah definitely and and something that I think was touched on very well there, and it does work hand in hand. And like I say, it should, avoidance should always be the key because you never know because you could go in and it could just be one of those, I know what I'm doing, ego driven, and you could get yourself injured or somebody else injured or worse. The other part of it is where it's connected to situational awareness, isn't it? And I think that's the most basic fundamentals of avoiding violence is to be situationally aware of like knowing your surroundings, knowing where you, you know, as me and you were terming your infill site, your exfill, where would you, where's the nearest exit? Where's, you know, where's, is it lit enough? Is it enough people around? Who's to the left of you? Who's to the right? Who's actually behind you? You know, all these little pointers, isn't it? And it's like little spidey sensors going off and it's, you know, naturally when, you're going to step into like something that's potentially dangerous. Your brain reacts. And that's, I think that's one of your greatest strengths, isn't it? hundred percent. Um, situational awareness is huge. It can, it can, you know, in, I think it's like first cousins of avoidance, right? You have yeah. to be aware. Situational awareness can save your life. Yeah. It absolutely can. It 100% can, because if you're situational aware, then you can be, then you can leverage avoidance. Right. So they, they're they're intermingled. They're intermarried. Um, uh, I have a story of my wife who was at a nail salon. OK. And it's later in the evening. It's herself. And it's they're about to close. And there's two uh, workers inside this nail salon. It's in the strip mall. It's later at night. The strip mall is almost completely empty at this time. And this male in a pickup truck pulls up, he drives past the shop, past the shop a second time, he parks. My wife, I didn't know her at the time, this was years ago, saw that happen. The guy gets out of the car, he's very aware, he's scanning, he's looking, she's getting her nails done. And she's picking up on these things. She notices that the uh, the lady at the the cashier grabs a bag of money that was being transferred and puts it away. So she's picking up on something. She may not know what it is, but she's picking up on something. Um, the guy comes into the threshold of the door and my wife grabs her bag, walks directly towards the only exit, the only known exit for her, yeah. which door. 
And as she's walking with focus and with intent to, to walk out that door, she's like, excuse me, my brother's here to pick me up. He turns, as he turns, she goes behind him, goes out and leaves. Yeah. Circle, circles back around, make sure the lady are safe, the guy gets in the car, and all of a sudden, this guy doesn't want to get his nails done or whatever. So yeah. that's one example of situational awareness where, you know, I could give cool military stories and, and operational stories, but that one really resonates with people because that's a lady getting her nails at a parlor. Yeah. A really simple, but yet profound example because the most profound things are always simple, right? A very yeah. profound example of how being situationally aware, you know, provided a, an opportunity to avoid things escalating. Yep. So, uh, Situational awareness is also, uh, while we're on this, we talk about compressing time and training. So if I'm training you for three hours, one day, or a two-day course, which is average, we have five-day courses, seven-day courses, and 21-day courses, where we just have, it's an academy, right? But yeah. typically, people come to a short four-hour class, a full-day class, or a two-day class. That's typically what happens. And we look at compressing time. How do we give you information that you can remember that you can remember, that you can actually use, and uh, it worked for you, right? And so one of the things in the situational awareness piece is uh, people struggle with the idea of conflict and violence as, as it relates to time. And they yeah. say, you know, I didn't see it coming, it happened, next thing there was a knife, there was a bat, there was whatever, multiple attackers, I didn't see his friends coming, whatever it is, situational awareness purchases time because you're intentionally absorbing information through your eyes and other senses and and being intentionally aware of what's happening and then you're making decisions based on that instead of being disconnected or eyes on the phone or what have you and not being situationally aware so situational awareness will literally can literally save your life it's not enough some people do this. They'll teach you situational awareness. They'll teach you two punches and they send you home. I don't, I, there has to be the physical part, right? There has yeah. to be the healing part of it. Uh, but it definitely is a crucial element. And it ties back to what we spoke of initially, mindset. If you don't have the right mindset, you will not be situationally aware. You'll be on your phone. You'll be on, on social media. You'll be engaged instead of, you'll be engaged with what's in your hand instead of being engaged what's around you. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that's another crucial part because we're so connected to like social media or the notifications go off or something. And the next thing you know, someone will pull, pull a phone out, look at the notification, they'll feel a vibrate in their pocket or they'll ping or a sound and they automatically disconnect from their environment and focus straight as on here. And I think that's almost created something that's actually risen. It's, it's <laughs> almost risen. <laughs> it's it's risen to that point where people are putting themselves in danger and that's not just obviously that's adults that's children you can kind of understand with children kind of like kids have got the phones out they're interacting with friends because i know very much you do focus on obviously, the child side as well of protection but it's like for an adult you kind of it's about teaching them that part of like this could be a point of actually where your life is in danger this you could actually put it to one side and save his life 
You know, you are putting yourself in harm's way, especially if you're in an environment you're unfamiliar with, you're unsure about why are you putting yourself in that moment, aren't you? Sure. And, you know, situational awareness also helps bridge the gap for people, yeah. which is, I would say, overwhelmingly encompasses the mass of society. Folks that are not comfortable, I mean, who's really comfortable with violence? It's like, yeah, I'm yeah. totally cool. Yeah. There's no problem. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen people die or be maimed permanently uh, for the rest of their lives engaged in violence. I've got no problem with that. Maybe there's something off there. But so yeah. for folks that are terrified of violence, conversations on situational awareness help start bridging that gap. Yeah. This very thing that repulses you, that you find nauseatingly repugnant. It's just not something that you can break kind of that psychological threshold. I'm just not comfortable thinking about violence. I can't believe that this stuff happens, right? right. And speaking to them and getting them to understand situational awareness and the tie-in of how that will help them avoid avoidance, avoid this. It'll help them avoid this violence. It doesn't make it inevitable, but it equips them, gets them thinking about the very thing which they were not comfortable with even discussing prior to. So it's yeah. kind of uh, it's kind of a um, uh, very effective method of getting people in the realm and in the zone of thinking and connecting mentally, at least, to this concept of violence without shoving it, so to speak, in their face. Yeah. Right? I'm. I understand aggression very well. I am, I love aggression. I think it's cathartic, yeah. right? It, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, I came up as a fighter and boxing was for me, out of all the martial arts, boxing was for, for some reason, there was something about the simplicity of it and the complexity of it. Cause you're yeah. never, there is no mastery of it, which is why you see you know, world title, world title uh, fighters doing what they did when they were five or 10 years old and they started boxing, they get in front of that mirror and everyone, there is no fighter that does not shadow box. Yeah. Right. It brings it back to the, to the beginning. And so, um, uh, you know, the idea of, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, kind of doubling, doubling down on that is, the ability to get people to embrace this concept of violence. Violence is, is the fundamental, it is the basis of that thing that is going to occur. And there is no getting around it. Yeah. Just like the fighter that's not gonna not shadow box because you, you have to have that. But the issue is, back to what I was saying about aggression is, uh, you know, it may not be the most intelligent approach to take someone that has, you know, having trained, say, females with uh, horrific trauma, there has to be a buildup so that yeah. the can be built. Or all you're doing is turning them off to the point where they'll never train in getting equipped for success against violence because they're in fear. I've, I've taught classes. I do women's self-defense classes. I, and then when they're done with women's self-defense classes, say, you need to come to a regular class. It's not just ladies. Because yeah. you probably didn't come to this class to learn how to protect yourself from a woman. But that being said, maybe it's because I'm a father of, I have five girls of the six or five, right? Five, yeah. five of the six or girls. Maybe it's that. Um, 
there has to be a building of confidence in the skill. I could, I could, you know, this is how we do training in, in professional counterterrorism academies. When we bring in the student and we stress them out, we've put them through a PT session and we spray them with, with OC spray and we, they, they're attacked by, by surprise, by, by multiple attackers. Uh, and they're being shocked, you know, uh, and tased and just, it's overwhelming, man. You yeah. know, so, so, so we used to run this uh, instructor certification course where, you know, I trained people to train people to be certified as instructors, right? So they, the question always came up, what level are we fighting people at? These students, these clients, like what, what do you fight them at? And the answer was always wherever they are, slightly above. Yeah. You fight just above. You always go just above, not at their level, never below, but you don't go up here and crush them. Yeah. Because all you've done is taught them you suck and you are completely incompetent. If Now, sometimes people need that and certain training protocols call for that and you want to, you're looking to eliminate people off the bat, right? Yep. There's protocols for that. But in general, in training, it's progressive and you're building their confidence and you're building their skill and you're getting them to earn the win. You get them to here, I'm here, you're here. You got to earn the win. Okay, now I'm going to come up here and you're constantly going just above. And that's how we get people to learn and embrace and understand and have confidence in this realm in training of violence to best equip them and program their software for an encounter. Does that kind of make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, you definitely. And knock you out cold with, you know, I have a surprise attacker behind the door, you get knocked out cold. Okay, your situational awareness sucks, now you're unconscious. What did you learn? <laughs> like, I could do that. That's, yeah. That does not require a high level of acumen no, no. as an instructor whatsoever. I, you ha you can do that with zero experience. You could open up a company tomorrow and just start running classes and do that. You're not teaching anything. You're not building yeah. any skill. Yeah, because it, it's, it's building it for those foundation knowledge, isn't it? It's about building and it's making the two work together. So you've got your mindset, you've got your physical aptitude, and it's working and creating that foundation. But it also returns back to doing the basics well. Because you need to do that repetition. And like I said, for those courses out of like, say, for example, like a five day course, probably 90% of what you're teaching is repetition, isn't it? The basics, the basics, the basics is getting people to just tune to be knowing and understanding fully the basics, because it's a bit like exactly that you would not give somebody a weapon and say there you are use it because a they would probably hurt themselves other people but they would just be like what do i do you've got to get them create that mindset isn't it that, that repetition and it's building those found foundations with the basics every single time i mean you must every time you teach you must think how many times have i taught this this week but it's those essential skill set isn't it Everything is everything is basics. Uh, one of my other mentors, his name is Frank Bricky, says, "Master the basics brilliantly." Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing: if you're going to train in, let's we'll use the term loosely, self-defense or combatives, yeah. and you leave that training event, whether it's a session, whether it's a you know a school you're attending, uh, whether it's a seminar, whatever whatever it is, and you leave confused, and you leave feeling that the techniques were esoteric and complicated and required very specific elements of I have to have my hand here and I must 
purchase this part of the body and I have to be above the elbow and my hips need to be here and my head alignment needs to be this and the position needs to be this for this thing to work. It's not that those techniques are garbage. It's not that those techniques yeah. shouldn't be worked. It's not that those techniques don't, don't have a place in the training realm. What it is, though, is to expect someone that can't remember, even with a training body, what the techniques are, that they're going to use this under any level of real stress. Yep. It's a fallacy. And this is where I, 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 it's a bold statement, but it still doesn't make it untrue, right? Is what you're teaching is taught in an unethical manner because you have gullible people often coming to you thinking that what you're teaching them is actually going to work and it will not work outside of your training classroom where you've set it up to work. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you kind of got to remove yourself. Cause I think that's one of the biggest almost fallacies that I've seen. It's almost like people do everything in this environment, but they tend to forget and think it's like the big question is it, will this work on a street? And you've probably seen it. How many times, countless times YouTube where you've seen that guy, obviously very, very, highly trained jujitsu getting stabbed because his muscle memory is done as a sport rather than a combated, you know, exercise. And you see this and it's a lot of times as you've always got to remember, can I use this protection because it is a protective measure on the street? Will this be able to be transferable? It's great. Like I said, it's great putting somebody into an environment in a classroom base to teach them and drill them and drill them and drill them and drill them. But it's about teaching them enough and the right context for it to be used outside those doors. Because, you know, like it's doing yourself, that attack is not going to happen in that classroom where it's going to, it's all perfectly set up and it's a safe environment. It's a safe training environment. But once you step out there, it's about allowing people to build themselves up to that knowledge where you can physically transfer those skills in that environment to an external one, isn't it? Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, um, there's a lot of training that looks good and it looks flashy and it looks like it requires a high level of athleticism. So what that means is that if you're not highly athletic, if you're not, so that system is built for only athletes. Yeah. Right, but they're not promoting it that way. No. So do I believe you should be physically fit? Absolutely. In today's world, more than ever. And not for what people think my answer would be. It has nothing to do with 2020 or the imported virus. That's not what I'm talking about. Man. This world, this ever dynamically, rapidly evolving world, this is the time to be healthy and physically fit, to be strong Man. or stronger than you are today. You should be stronger tomorrow. You should be more, more flexible. You should be faster regardless of age, regardless of pre-existing injuries, regardless of any of that, regardless of, you know, uh, how many things you have take you away from the gym or from working out, it's crucial. And if the system that you've built, that being said, that system that you've built requires this level of athleticism for you to have success, this level of flexibility for you to have success, then what you're saying to the end user, absent the people that show up at your classes, this will not work for you, yep. right? This, so basically, if you don't have these, uh, say this level of athleticism, uh, this isn't going to work for you, right? So that's not a free pass on not being in shape. It's just that sometimes 
people are not in shape and you have to give them something, something that they could use to compel them to get into shape. But that if this is all you had, you can at least injure the person to create space, to turn away, to access something, to place a barrier between yourself and them, to exit, to make a phone call, to what, to have a plan versus, hey, uh, this just isn't going to work for you. And to all of those systems, my, you know, I, I, I don't have a system. Uh, I, I kind of cringe at the word. We have an approach to violence uh, because yeah. violence is not choreographed, right? It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not dancing with the stars. So, so if what you're teaching isn't going to work in the dark, yep. going to work on uneven terrain, isn't going to work when it's raining, when it's wet outside, when the floor is wet, when you have, you know, never mind blood and sweat, when it's pouring and you have water, you know, uh, maybe, you know, obstructing your vision, things like that. If it's not going to work against multiple attackers, if it works only against unarmed attackers, if it doesn't address, uh, you know, uh, individuals attacking you from behind, then you have to question, you should question. Yeah where's the gaps in my training and how do I, as an instructor, as a business owner, fill those gaps and go and learn, or am I just going to stay in my lane and be comfortable and go do that thing? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think that's the pit because now people are watching this because they may have gone online and they may say, Oh great. I'm looking for a training course. I want to become, you know, like in, on a self-defense course. I want to learn how to defend myself. The amount of, different elements that's involved in this kind of training is so vast that i think now people watching especially like doing watching podcasts like this will get an understanding of what how many different elements there is to this type of training it's not like because we naturally see it on a dry indoors fully lit environment in a safe environment now when talking about it, people are starting to understand that exactly that, how many different elements is there to this kind of training? This is the level that you need to train at, not something that's that nice, dry environment, like I said, indoors. It's now you start to understand all the different elements, all the different parts that you have to put together into a course. Is your course, or should I say, is the course you're looking at, does it cover all these different elements? Because it's mobile, isn't it? Absolutely mobile. Sure. And, and, you know, and there's progression, right? So you don't start yeah. off there. You start off in the yeah. control department. So you start off with, you know, uh, uh, maybe a red gun, then, you know, simunitions, then live fire. So there is always progression, right? Yeah. And uh, and you start off in a controlled, you know, I used to tell the students all the time, I says, as, as, as horrible as today is going to be for you, and it's going to be a miserable four hours. So just know that. Yeah. Um, we're in a safe, climate-controlled room with mats and safety protocols and instructors and medical kits and a response team. And, you know, you could be evac. You, you could be, you could be uh, evacuated, uh, medevac by, by Hilo. You know, yeah. we're on the back end of, of, of a Coast Guard uh, element to do that. As horrible as it's going to be, this is not real. Yeah. Right? So it just, but we start, you start there, and then you, and then you, you, you know, you start off in a, in a kind of a static, 
then a kind of a fluid, then a kind of dynamic, dynamic being the culmination event where you make it as real as possible without breaking people, right? As real as possible, as intense as possible, as miserable as possible. You have them, you, you attempt to overwhelm all their stress systems and make it to where it's at least possible for them to perform. And then when they say, that was really horrible, but I got through that, then you build on that and you just keep stacking and stacking, not just confidence, but yeah. skill with confidence. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what, we have literally need done one hour here. And I mean, we could go another two hours. This is the level that we can take it from the very basics and foundation. And we're going to have to revisit this because this is only halfway. This is I'm only all... halfway. For... Absolutely. absolutely. I'm all in. Definitely, definitely. Because I think we're literally hit about halfway and, you know, we could go at least an hour, two hours. This is the type of, you know, the level that, that people have got to understand. But I always like to end the podcast with that one question. If you were to keep one piece of advice to anybody, what would it be? Oh, wow, that's a great thing. I would say uh, I've always thought this, but I think there's more today than I did yesterday and the day before. Whatever your standards are for yourself, no one else can set for you. And whatever those standards are, regardless of what happens, you have to maintain your standards. Once you start breaking integrity with yourself, everything starts to fall apart. Uh, choice and consequence are married. And they're driven by your standard. So there's a lot of people in my line of work today, in law enforcement, military, here in the U.S., based on a topic we won't address because I don't want this. I don't want this to get flagged for the wrong thing. Based on a, we'll use the term mandate, yeah. where they're being forced. They are being forced. I don't. I don't put up air quotes in sarcasm. Being forced to make a decision on either you comply with the mandate and you can keep your job, or you don't comply with the mandate. And if your reasonable accommodation is not fulfilled, you will lose everything. And. There's a choice with a substantial consequence because this is what feeds your family. And there are very few, a tiny number in today's world that will maintain their standard. They will make their choice based on the standard. They will understand what the consequence is, but the consequence will not affect their choice. Maintain your standard, set your standard. Don't let anybody set the standard for you. Any fear or any outside force affect your standard. Absolutely. Words of wisdom. And just finally, where can people find you? Yeah, so probably uh, all our social media platform, I'm there either by Omega Protective Concepts uh, or my name, Maury Abreu. Uh, quick shout out. I do want to say one thing that makes our company unique. Not just are we um, a self-defense combative training company equipping you for success against violence, but one of the things that we do that's very unique with our charity arm is King's Ransom Foundation, where we free children from the sex slave industry via our charity arm. And what that means is anyone who participates in any of our classes, anyone who purchases any of our products, any of our weapons, any of the gear line that we're releasing with, I'm, I'm a partner uh, at Virtus Outdoor Group with David Wood, who in yeah. introduced us. Uh, uh, one of my very best friends on planet Earth, my brother. Uh, you know, partnering together to anything that we do in Omega Protective Concepts, we donate 10% of the proceeds directly towards 
freeing children from the sex slave industry. So if you are never going to take a class with us ever, and you're never going to purchase a blade or any of the gear that we're going to be releasing here very shortly with Virtus Outdoor Group and uh, uh, David Wood's company, if you never do any of that, check us out. Go to our website, omegaprotectiveconcepts.com. Go to the Our Mission tab and read up on the trafficking of children and donate. I don't care if you give a dollar or a euro. I, it really doesn't matter. We just yeah. made a $1,000 donation on Sunday. Uh, $1,000 is a decent amount of money, yeah. but it's never. So uh, if we never see each other again, do me a favor. Pass the word on that. It would mean so much to me. And you being a voice for the voiceless would be a standard that uh, is immeasurable. Yeah, absolutely. Because we'll definitely include that in the podcast next time. We'll definitely, we'll get a second part two done. Because I think there's Done. so much, so much we we could cover. And I think another hour, you know, we could, like I said, we could go two, three hours. But honestly, brother, it's been absolutely fantastic. We've really covered some real good basics there, some real good foundations. And it's been an absolute honour you coming on tonight. Really enjoyed it. We'll definitely go in for yep. round two. Okay. Can't wait. Say when. We'll do. <laughs> definitely, definitely. It's on, it's on. All right, brother, absolutely. be well. All right, you take care of yourself. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. You too.